0: Our first reading this morning is from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, from verse 1 to 5, and that can be found on page 586 of the Church Bible, and page 1175 from the Chinese Bible. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And our second reading is Luke chapter 2 verses 22 to 35, and that is on page 832 of the Church Bible and page 1659. From the Chinese Bible. Luke two twenty two. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Craig Foster. I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm going to pray before we look at that passage together. Please join me as we pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that in it it promises uh, to not return to you empty. We pray that it would do its work in our lives this morning, each one of us. We pray that we would be encouraged and comforted where we need to be, and that we'd be challenged where we need to be as well. And we pray this all for your glory. Amen. It'd be great if you could have that passage uh, open as we go through, Luke chapter 2. Well, it's exactly four weeks tomorrow until Christmas Day. Uh, I don't know how that makes you feel, but Christmas has come early this year in Zimbabwe. The celebrations in Zimbabwe in this past week have been euphoric. There has been lots of singing, lots of dancing in the streets. To be saved from President Mugabe and his wife has caused celebrations to erupt all over the nation. And understandably so, because the country has been destroyed by this man for the past 37 years. Let me read a lovely piece of writing that a lady in Zimbabwe wrote this week uh, on Facebook. This lady here, she says, there is no night ever so long that does not end with dawn. President Robert Mugabe's night too has ended. So many emotions, but mostly in the first few moments. I just sat here and wept for how dark, how terrible Mugabe's long part of the night was. For the many it swallowed, never to see tomorrow. For everything my people had to do to survive it for all that fell apart in it, including parts of ourselves, for all our beautiful bodies dispersed all over, because when things fall apart, the children of the land scurry and scatter like birds escaping a burning sky. And she finishes with these words of hope. Welcome to all the Zimbabwean children born on this day. You are our most precious, most untarnished promise. May you never see what we've seen. May you know, finally, a great Zimbabwe. So the celebrations this week in Zimbabwe have been understandably huge. However, as a friend of mine who is a Zimbabwean and a pastor wrote these wise words of caution on a Facebook post this week. He said, Pastors in hashtag Zimbabwe resist the urge to preach hope in a new Zimbabwe tomorrow. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's such a helpful and timely reminder because as humans we have a natural tendency to think about our immediate situation and think that once I'm saved from this enemy, once I'm saved from this government, from this job, from this boss, from this marriage, from this illness, then everything will be okay. I'll be saved. And it was the same for the Jews in the first century. They were living under a corrupt regime. The Romans were ruthless. The Romans abused and terrified many of the Jews. And the Jews longed for a day when they would be saved from the Romans. Because the Romans were seen to be the great enemy. But you know as well as I do that the Bible says it's never the Romans. It's never the Mugabes. It's never the boss. It's always sin choosing to stand against our maker and our judge. And the greatest need for all humanity this Christmas is the same as it was in Simeon's day. It is to be saved by Jesus from our sins. So as we turn to our third song for the Saviour song from the series, Simeon's song, the big idea here is salvation. The act of God where he reaches in to rescue a people who have turned their back on him. They've told God to get lost. They've given God the fist of rejection. And there are three aspects of salvation that I'd like to highlight for us today from Simeon's song. Firstly, the waiting for salvation. Secondly, the extending of salvation. And thirdly, the dividing of salvation. So the waiting, the extending, and the dividing. So first, the waiting for salvation. Now, Simeon is most likely to be an old man as he's waiting to die. We don't know his ex- exact age, but let's say he was 70, which in the first century uh, was, was old. It's not old now, of course, just, uh, just so to get that clear. This was a righteous and devout man, as verse 25 says, and he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Well, this goes back to the prophecies of Isaiah 750 years before about the birth of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 40, which we had just read a moment ago, says, comfort, comfort my people. Simeon is waiting for the servant who would come and bring comfort, who would bring consolation to Israel. And then in verse 26, we read how Simeon was told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen, until he had seen the Lord's Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer. So can you imagine being Simeon? He is in this grand temple that we've heard about. He is waiting for this promised Messiah. He has perhaps been holding on to this hope for years and years, waiting. And then one day he arrives. There he is. There he is coming into the temple. And there he is holding salvation in his arms, holding the salvation of the world. And he says in verse 30, "...for my eyes have seen your salvation." My eyes have seen God's salvation in Jesus. It is a remarkable scene. After waiting for so long, salvation arrives. Now, all fathers remember the birth of their first child. I think they do. I hope they do. Uh, Our first child took a particularly long time to come. Uh, We were living in England and we thought the waters had broke and we headed off to hospital and we got there and they said, no, you're not ready. Uh, you can go back home. So we went back home. Uh, And then we spent what seemed like the next 12 hours or more walking around the streets of Wimbledon in London, walking around the streets, the parks, the shops, the the shops, and everywhere. And on and on it went, pausing every now and then, just to to let a contraction pass. And finally, the contractions were getting more frequent and painful. So we got into our little hatchback car that was lent to us by a friend that had no suspension, and we headed for the hospital. Anyway, after a few hours of pretty serious contractions at the hospital, the midwife said, yep, it's all about to happen, and she got changed into her special uh, delivery outfit. And then she soon revealed to us that there'd been no change. There'd been no movement in the last few hours. And so then on it, on it went, into, late into the night and into the next morning, and eventually at 1am, some 30 hours, following first arriving at the hospital the previous night, the baby was born. And I do remember marvelling at this child. The waiting had been so long and so difficult, but the wait was worth it, even for my wife, Therese, amazingly. And sadly, I can't remember my first words when I held my first daughter, Chloe, in my arms. I'm sure they were really poetic and and creative, uh, but I can't quite remember them. But I do desperately remember wanting to tell others about this event and to praise God. She's arrived. Well, it's the same with Simeon. He has been waiting and waiting and waiting. And he took Jesus in his arms and praised God in verses 29 to 30. And he, and he says, he sings, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. And isn't Simeon just such a, a great example to us? This old man. He's not waiting for a peaceful retirement. He's not waiting to get the mortgage paid. He's not waiting for his next overseas holiday or to get rid of a a corrupt government. He's waiting for the Saviour of the world. His life and his focus is completely on this because he knows that Jesus is what people need more than anything else in the world. And Simeon is holding salvation in his arms, the one who would save the world from their sins. Can you imagine? the rescuer of all humanity from the beginning of time to the end of time in your arms. Simeon is just so amazed that he praises God and he sings. Now, what about us? What do you think the people of the hills are waiting for this Christmas? Maybe a good holiday? Maybe some good presents? Maybe to win the ashes? Sadly, most people of the hills and Sydney are not waiting for Jesus. They do not feel like they need a saviour. But what about us? Do we long for the people of the hills to be saved? To be saved by Jesus from their sins? Now, sadly, I know that I often don't. It's something that we know in our heads, but sometimes we don't feel it in our hearts. We look around and everyone seems to be going okay with their nice houses and nice cars, happy-looking faces and it's easy to forget that they need Jesus desperately. They are enemies of God. And they need to be saved. Otherwise, they'll be eternally separated from him in hell forever. It's tragic. Well, in exactly two weeks, we have an in- opportunity to invite people to carols. Where we'll be singing about our Savior. And I think it would be all worth praying this year that we can invite one person along, to whether it's to carols or to another Christmas uh, on the green event, or to a Christmas service. Because wouldn't it be great if a neighbour, a family member, a work colleague, came along to a Norwest event this Christmas so that they could hear the message of salvation? That would be wonderful. Now in Simeon's song, the waiting is over, the Saviour has arrived, But he introduces a new thing for us in the Gospel of Luke. He extends this idea of salvation beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. And this is our second point, extending salvation. This salvation is not only for the Jews, but a light of revelation to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, to people like us. There's probably not many Jews here. But have a look at verse 32. Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel. So, yes, Jesus was first for the Jews, but he is also Savior for all the nations. And as we look at Simeon's song in more detail, we realize how many connections there are are to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, particularly in the chapters 40 to 60 at the end of Isaiah, because Isaiah prophesied so clearly about a day that God's glory and salvation would go beyond Israel to the ends of the earth, to the nations. Have a look at Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 3 with me. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Now, that's what the Jews should have been expecting to see from God, a day when all nations would come to God's light, God's Messiah. And Isaiah talked of the day that the servant would come and he'd lift this shroud of darkness and God's beautiful glory would be revealed to all people. And this six-week-old baby was that glory, was that light that would reveal salvation to the nations all over the world. Uh, Now, in the last week, a new biography has been released uh, about a a man called Arthur Stace, uh, Mr. Eternity. And I've loved hearing more about his story. And many of us here know this story well. He spent the early part of his life living on the streets in Sydney. Uh, He was homeless. And as a teenager, he became an alcoholic. And at the age of 15, he ended up in jail. And it wasn't until he was 45 years of age that he was converted to Christ. And a couple of years after his conversion, he heard a message by the Reverend John Ridley on Isaiah chapter 57 at St. Barnabas Church in Broadway. And John Ridley said in his sermon this, he said, Eternity, eternity. I wish I could sound that word to everyone in the streets of Sydney. You've got to meet it. Where will you spend eternity? And Stay said that he left that meeting with eternity ringing in his brain. And he felt compelled to begin writing the word Eternity down on the pavements in the streets. And over the next 35 years of his life, he wrote it down over 500,000 times. But something that I didn't know until this past week about the story was that no one knew that for him, it took 19 years. No one knew it was him writing this down for 19 years. And then one day a minister friend of his saw him writing the word eternity on the pavement, and said to him, ah, you're Mr. Eternity. And Arthur Stace said, guilty, your honour, but promised to tell no one. Well, Stace was a really shy man, and it wasn't for another four or five years that Stace finally agreed to let the public know that it was him. And it hit the press, it hit the newspapers, and he became somewhat of a sensation, a celebrity, giving many interviews and sharing his story of conversion, his powerful story of conversion. And what I particularly love about Arthur Stace's story is that he was a man that was so captured by Jesus that he creatively thought, how can I share this message of Jesus with others, with my situation and with my gifts? He was a very shy man. He was illiterate. But he still found a way of taking this message of salvation to the nations. And I'll never forget watching the Sydney Harbour Bridge on the year 2000, uh, being on the Harbour foreshores as we welcomed in the new millennium, seeing that word eternity plastered across the harbour bridge, being watched by millions and millions of people on TV screens across the globe. And it all started with that shy man, Arthur Stace, who wanted others to know about Jesus, this message of salvation that Simeon spoke of 2,000 years before. Well, since coming to Norwest this year, one of the things that has encouraged me so much has been to see people coming here from so many nations who have such a softness and an openness to Jesus. People from India, from Sri Lanka, from China, from South Africa, from Zimbabwe, and even from New Zealand. Our Easy English classes, our ESL classes and Christianity Explored classes are full of people from all nations wanting to come and hear about Jesus and many of them for the first time. And that is fantastic, isn't it? That is such good news. But despite this, the open arms of Norwest to the nations coming here, I've also noticed that as a church, we're not that keen to personally tell others about Jesus, to, to be out there. We may seek to be a good example for Jesus, and if asked, we'll give a reason for the hope we have. But we do not seem to long to share this message of Jesus. And I recognize this is hard. I find it hard as well and Arthur Stace found it hard. It actually took him 25 years before he was prepared to explain and tell others what the Bible meant about this word eternity. But imagine if you were told the best news in the world, news that you knew would help people more than anything else in life. Would you not want to tell others about this? Wouldn't it be natural to share this with others? Just like Arthur Stay so desired to do, his heart burned within him, wanting to do this. So why don't we all pray today, not only that we could invite someone along to church this Christmas, but that God would give us an opportunity to talk about Jesus, to speak about him with someone this Christmas. Which can sound scary, uh, very scary for some of us. So I'm going to do something a little bit unusual. I'm going to pray mid-sermon that God would help us to do that in the coming weeks, that God would give us that courage. So let's just do that briefly now. Father, forgive us for not sharing this message of salvation with those around us, being not bold enough to speak of this great glory that you've revealed to us. We pray, Father, this Christmas, these coming four weeks, that you might give each of us the opportunity to share this message of salvation, to share what Jesus has done for others, that he has died for their sins on the cross and gives them the opportunity of eternity with him. Please may you give us, each of us, this opportunity this Christmas, we pray. Amen. Well, the the third, the final thing uh, we see about salvation is that salvation is dividing. Uh, And this final point is the one that we're least expecting as we have Simeon's song, uh, around it because it's confronting, particularly in a Christmas series. Have a look at verse 34. It says, Then Simeon blessed them, that's Mary and Joseph, and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So the prophecy of Simeon is not all sentimental, sweetness, and light. There's a dark shadow over this prophecy, over Simeon's song. It's the shadow of the cross. Simeon says that when this baby Jesus grows up, he will cause many to rise and fall. Many will accept him, accept the revelation and the glory and peace which he comes to offer, and they will rise. But others will reject him, and those people will fall. They will speak against him. They'll even nail him to a cross. And that is what Simeon means in verse 35. That's what happened 33 years later when Mary watched her own son being crucified on a cross for the sins of the world. Uh, This Christmas in our Christmas services, at our 9 p.m. service on Christmas Eve and our 8 a.m. service on Christmas Day, we're going to be celebrating communion, uh, which you're all invited to come along to, which seems a strange thing to do on Christmas. On a day we're remembering Jesus' birth to be remembering his death. But it is appropriate, isn't it? Because even at Jesus' birth, Simeon is predicting Jesus' death. In the United States, there is a mountain range called the Great Divide. Uh, You may know about this. It's a, a huge drainage basin. And the Great Divide is located between the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean drainage basins. So that the rain that falls on one side flows out into rivers and estuaries and eventually flows into the Pacific Ocean. And rain that falls on the other side Flows out into the Atlantic Ocean. So, rain that falls only a few centimetres apart ends up in very different destinations. And Simeon says that Jesus is the great divide. Because what we do with Jesus will affect our ultimate destination. Those who are for Him, those who trust Him will rise. Those who are against Him, either actively by opposing Him or passively by being indifferent, will fall. So which side are you on this morning? If you're on the wrong side, you can change sides and that's great news isn't it? To be able to change sides and if you want to change sides, I would encourage you to talk with one of the staff more about this uh, or perhaps write it on a welcome card this morning and I or one of the other staff will, would love to chat with you more about this uh, in the coming week. Well let me conclude. Jesus makes a great offer for all people this Christmas. He offers salvation. He can save us and our families and our friends from the greatest enemy, sin, and from the resulting separation from God. With the arrival of Jesus, the wait is over. The day of salvation has arrived. We are in the day of salvation, a day that Simeon longed for. We are in it, and we need to seize the day. Share this salvation with those around us this Christmas. But not only that, we need to keep extending this message of salvation beyond ourselves. This salvation is not just for people like us or those that come to Norwest. It's for the nation, nations. And we need to take this light, this message of hope out there to the people in our suburbs and to all the nations. But this message of salvation is also dividing. It will cause division. Jesus is the great divider. Some will rise and some will fall and we should not be surprised when some, in fact many, reject the Saviour Jesus. Let me pray. Now as I pray, there might be people here today who want to accept this salvation, accept Jesus as your Saviour. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that now. And if you want to do that, please echo this prayer in your heart to God and he will hear you and answer you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus, the Saviour who died for the sins of the world. Please forgive us for rejecting you as our maker and judge. Please forgive us for our sins. Please help us to trust in Jesus with all our heart, minds, soul and life. And please help us to be committed to you and follow you all our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.